Our scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 11, uh, verse 19 through 26. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 26. I invite you to open uh, your Bibles with me there. Um, This is a passage, I think, that has some great wisdom for us in our day-to-day lives, uh, the way that we handle things and approach things. Uh, But I think it speaks volumes about uh, the way that a church should be, obey, about the way that which we serve, uh, the mindset, the kind of focus that we should have in the life of the church. And I've titled this sermon, Get Some Help. Uh, and I, I want to I offer some clarification here. Because I think there's times, you know, you're talking with somebody and you're having this conversation, you're like, man, that person really needs some help, right? I mean, we've, we've all been there. We've all been, hopefully that's not when you're talking to me, although I'm sure I could use some help too. But uh, it, it's not a bad thing to need some help, but that's not necessarily the kind of, of help that we're talking about today. Uh, get some help is... It's kind of a pushback against our cultural expectations of independence, of do-it-yourselfness, uh, probably more so a pushback against our pride, our wanting to be the fixer, the solver, the doer, uh, our finding our worth in being the one. Right? It's about having a vision that goes beyond ourselves, a vision uh, that sees the value, the importance, the blessing, and being able to invest in the lives of others. Getting help sometimes not even because we need help, but because it can be life-giving for somebody else to be that person who comes along beside of us. So we're going to read here in Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 26, a little bit of a story that shows us that. So it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion, for he was a man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a great many people, And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. So just kind of what we see happening in this passage is that there's a great number of people in the city of Antioch who have become believers and turned to the Lord. There were, you know, some ordinary people like me and you that were scattered because of the persecution that was taking place. These people aren't named. They're not kind of the, the named people in the scriptures. Uh, it's not Peter, James, and John, not one of the disciples. It's just everyday, ordinary people who are going out and they find themselves in Antioch. And so since they're there, they decide to start telling people the good news about Jesus, uh, about how Jesus has made a difference in their lives. And so people are saying yes to Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. And so the news of this gets back 
to the church leaders who were in Jerusalem. Right, the church in Jerusalem is kind of the, the headquarters of the Christian movement as it's beginning to, to launch and go out. You know, it's the home base for Peter, uh, for James, the brother of Jesus, for, for John. It's kind of where they're all gathered together. And so this news makes it back there to Jerusalem, and the church is excited about it. And they're excited about these new believers in Jesus, and they say, you know what, they need a little bit of instruction. Let's send Barnabas there so that he can go tell them more about Jesus so that he, he can teach them how Jesus has called us to live. He can help instruct them on what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, about how they listen and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so they send Barnabas to Antioch to be a teacher, to be a pastor for the people who are there. And after Barnabas has been there for a little while, he decides to go and find Saul and bring him to Antioch with them. And it says the two of them spend a year together in Antioch teaching and pastoring, leading and serving. And in this story, there's something that I think is important. And the scripture doesn't exactly spell it out. It's not something that's prescribed for us, right? It's not a, you know, like the commandments. They tell us what to do. Sometimes scripture or not to do. Uh, sometimes scripture just spells it out, right? You should not do this. You should do this. It's prescribed. It's, it's not prescribed for us in scripture to do things in this way. But it's this description, it's described of what's taking place, of what Barnabas is doing, of what Saul is doing. And so Barnabas, he goes to Antioch because the church sends him. But the church doesn't send Saul. The church in Jerusalem doesn't send Saul to go and do anything. They don't ask for Saul, they don't give him an invitation to go. The church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas. But Barnabas, being a wise man, being somebody who's full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, decides that being in Antioch, that serving in this role that he's been sent to serve in, is something that he should not do alone. So he goes and he looks for Saul, and he brings him to Antioch with him. And so there's a couple of ideas in my mind about why he goes to find Saul. And I think both of them offer good wisdom for us uh, today. They, they offer good wisdom about why we should go and find others to, to come alongside of us, about why we should go and get some help. Uh, the first one is that Barnabas might have gone to get Saul because he looked at the city of Antioch and he said, you know what, this is, this is a pretty big city. There's, there's a lot of work here to do. I better go find somebody to help me do this. It's two people are going to be better than one. Let me go get some help. And this idea in itself just kind of flies in the face of our current cultural expectations. I mean, right? We're, we're do-it-yourself, independent, asking for help is a sign of weakness kind of society. If Barnabas was operating with that mentality, he would have said something like, well, you know, the, the church sent me, and if it is to be, it's up to me. I'll just figure it out. On my own. Barnabas said, you know what? I think, I think it'd be worthwhile to have somebody else who's going to join me in this adventure. It's, it's going to be worthwhile to have somebody else who's going to come alongside of me and to help carry the load. He's, he's living out the scriptural wisdom that we find in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, where it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And I know... I know a lot of times we hear that verse in the context of marriages, and that's, that's a great thing, a great way to, to build your marriage relationship. But it's not speaking just of marriages. It's saying just in general, two people are better than one. For if you fall, you have somebody who can help you up. It's good to have somebody who is there along with you throughout life. 
And so perhaps Barnabas is bringing Saul just as somebody to have his back. And if this is his only motivation, just because I need somebody to help carry the load, then it's a helpful model for us to think about. Because too many times we try to just do things on our own. We don't want to bother anybody. Right? Like, you know, I, I, they, they seem like they've got their own things going on. I, I don't want to bother them. You know, I'll, just, I'll climb the ladder for, by myself and I won't have anybody hold it because I don't want to be a bother to anybody. Right? I mean, we, we think this and we put it off on, on somebody else that we're, we're being a bother to them when really it's, it's probably it's our own pride that doesn't want to ask for help. Uh, maybe we say, well, it'll just take longer if I have somebody else come with me. It's just gonna, it's just gonna make it take more time. So I don't wanna, I don't wanna go through all that. Uh, but, but really, I think there's this place of pride where we wanna do it on our own, where we wanna put in the work by ourselves. Sometimes it might even be that we want the spotlight or the recognition in our church settings. Sometimes, you know, we get called up and look, Lord, at all the things that I'm doing for you. And we miss out on the blessing that it can be to the other person who we're inviting along to come and help. Right, I mean, if you've, if you've ever helped somebody before, uh, you've done something to serve somebody, like, you know that it feels good. There's something about serving others, about helping others, that feels good within your own heart and with your own soul. When we don't ask for help, when we say, well, they're too busy or I don't want to bother them, we're preventing them from receiving that blessing of being invited in to be able to help out. Right? And so there's scriptural wisdom in getting help, scriptural wisdom in asking someone to work with you, to accompany you, at least enough that we should attempt it. But I actually think there's something deeper that's going on. Like there's a deeper purpose in what Barnabas is doing when he invites Saul to come back to Antioch. I think he's doing more than just getting some help to benefit himself, to lighten his load. I think that Barnabas goes to find Saul because he sees the greater vision of what God is wanting to do in the world. He, he's operating not just in a, in a personal, uh, in my own way of thinking and doing things, but I'm seeing things through, through God's vision, through the kingdom of God kind of focus. Uh, he's seeing this as an opportunity, not just to go and do something, but to raise somebody else up so that he can go out and do things too. So that the work of God isn't just what I can do, but it's multiplied. It's this idea that Jesus talks about in the Great Commission of going into all the world and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, commanding them to do all that I've taught. It's following really in the model that Jesus lays out for us in his own life. And Jesus calls 12 disciples. I mean, there's a lot of other people that are following him too, but he specifically calls 12 people to follow him. Throughout his life, he's going around uh, over three years with these 12, and they're seeing him work miracles. They're listening to his teaching, and every now and then Jesus is pulling them in. He says, hey guys, come back over here, and he's giving them some kind of private instruction, uh, instruction to the side of what he's teaching everybody else as well. And then there's times if you're reading through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus, uh, he'll send them out. He'll send them out and say, hey, you guys go, you two go here, you two go here, you two go here. Go out and, and do the things that I'm doing. Go out and teach the people. Go out and pray for people in my name and watch them be healed. And so the disciples will go out. And then they come back. And they're saying, oh God, you know, hey Jesus, look at all the great things that we've done. We had some struggles over here though. 
So Jesus will say, oh, that's great. I'm, this, is, this is incredible. You know, great job doing these things that I've showed you, that I've taught you. And in these other areas, here's something that you can try the next time. Here's something that you can do the next time. He's offering them some feedback, some coaching, some instructions. He's building them up. He's discipling them. He's mentoring them. He's pouring into them. And then whenever Jesus dies, raises from the dead, ascends into heaven, he's got this group of 12 that he has trained, that he has developed, that are ready to go out and to share the good news of what he's done. The ministry itself, the, the kingdom message doesn't die when Jesus ascends, but it spreads because he's raised up more people to carry that message into all the world. And I, th- I think that's what Barnabas is doing with Saul. I mean, we kind of see it in the nature of their relationship together. Uh, Barnabas and Saul, they've, they've been connected before. In Acts chapter 7, that's when we first meet Saul. And Saul is going out and he's persecuting Christians. It talks about him holding the coats of the people who stoned Stephen. He's, he, he's getting all these uh, requests and all the legal documents in order so he can go and he can arrest Christians. Uh, then he has this encounter with Jesus in Acts chapter 9 where his life is changed and transformed. Uh, but the church in Jerusalem, they're, they're not quite sure what to make of Saul just yet. It tells us that they weren't sure whether or not he actually believed. It's like maybe he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's just going to come in, you know, under this guise of my life has changed. And then now he sees the the inner operations and he's going to take them all away to jail. But Barnabas, way back then, he already knows who Saul is. He, He knows what's happened in Saul's life. And so it says that Barnabas, you know, essentially he vouches for Saul. He, he writes them a reference, a personal note that says, no, I know I've seen the difference in this guy. He, he's one of us now. His life has changed. His, his life is different. I've seen it take place. And so they have this connection. And then in Acts chapter 11, where we're reading this morning, uh, Barnabas is sent to Antioch. And so he goes and he grabs Saul and they are teaching together for a year. After that year is up, they go and they visit city after city after city, church after church after church. They're doing ministry together. And Barnabas is pouring into Saul and he's raising Saul up and he's giving Saul opportunities to serve and to teach. And then we read a little bit later in Acts chapter 16. Uh, it'll be in our somewhere in the scripture readings this week where uh, Barnabas and Saul, they go separate ways. And Barnabas takes on John Mark to be his new apprentice, the, new, the person he's mentoring now. And Saul takes Silas with him and then he meets Timothy and then the three of them head off together. And so you see this, this multiplication taking place. People are making disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. And the kingdom of God is spreading because Barnabas has this vision that it's not just about what I'm doing that matters. It's this heavenly kingdom. It's the kingdom of God taking reign. It's developing and raising up other people in the way of Jesus, giving them the opportunities to serve and to grow, to make mistakes, to let them lead, and then to send them on their way. Barnabas understands that his calling is being sent to Antioch. It's It's not just about him. There's a greater mission, a greater vision that he's operating under. It's this great commission that Jesus has given to each of us. To make disciples. To train them up. To send them out to go and to make disciples as well. Barnabas realizes that he doesn't have to own the ministry for himself. He doesn't need this ministry so that he can feel validated or affirmed. And instead, because he has this kingdom vision in mind, he can bring in Saul alongside of him. 
He can let Saul preach and teach and lead. He can prepare Saul to go out and do it on his own. He can prepare Saul so that Saul can go out and mentor his own set of people. So he can disciple a, a next person, a next generation to raise them up in the faith. And we see the Christian witness spread throughout the whole Mediterranean area in just a short number of years. Because people like Barnabas are operating with this kingdom mindset about not just figuring out what I can do, but how I can raise up the next person, how I can disciple the next person. And so it's, it's multiplied. The, the kingdom of God, the spread of the gospel is multiplied as they go out and as they share in it together. Now imagine if Barnabas would have said, well, they sent me. They didn't send anybody else. It just must be up to me to, to get it done. Uh, imagine if Barnabas said, well, well, he's not going to be able to do it as good as I can do it. Uh, and so he never gave Saul the chance. Uh, and maybe he could have been right. Maybe Saul wouldn't do it as good as he could. But if he never gave him the chance, Saul would never have the opportunity to grow and to get better in it. Imagine if Barnabas was worried, you know, if I bring Saul along, what if, what if he ends up being better than me? What if he replaces me? What if, what if Saul gets the accolades instead of me? What if Saul gets the attention instead of me? What if Saul gets sent on the next mission and I'm just stuck at home? If Saul does what I do, what am I going to do? What if, what if he had that kind of selfish mindset so they didn't raise him up? Imagine if Barnabas would have said, well, you know, Saul's just going to slow me down. I've got an efficient operation going on here and He's going to make my 15-minute job take 30 minutes if I try to bring him involved. It's just going to mess the, the whole thing up. I mean, too many times in the church, I think we operate with that kind of mindset. We have people who have their thing, and this is my thing, and I'm not going to let go of it. And they build their life on it. And they never bring somebody else alongside of them. They, they aren't mentoring somebody who's going to take the lead over it. They're not investing in somebody else. And so when they can't physically do it anymore, the whole ministry just dies. And if you've been in a church long enough, you've seen it happen. Where somebody has this thing that they do and it's the thing that they do and they don't bring somebody else in. They're not raising up the next leader. They're worried about what they do if somebody else takes it on. They're not training them up and then they can't do it anymore and so then nobody is there to take it on. It just dies along with them because they haven't intentionally invested in somebody else who can take the lead because they've worried about what they're going to do instead of what's the greater good for the kingdom of God. Maybe in your role, and this could be in whatever role you find yourself in, maybe you would say, you know what, I, I don't really need help to do what I do. Maybe your job doesn't require another person to be with you. Maybe your role can just be accomplished by one person. But how are you raising somebody else up? It's not about the job, it's about the kingdom. How are you raising up that next person? How are you investing in somebody else's life that helps them to be better, that helps them to grow in their faith, that helps them to be ready to lead, that sees this kingdom vision of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples? And it doesn't just mean, hey, uh, can you do something? And then you never check in, you never support them, you just leave it to it. And then if they mess up, say, see, I knew they weren't going to be able to do it. I mean, Barnabas and Saul were together for a year in Antioch 
where he was pouring into his life, investing in him, coaching him up, walking alongside of him, encouraging him, offering him wisdom and insight. They traveled together for a while after that. It's this process of really taking the time to invest in somebody else's life. A process of raising somebody else to do what you can do and then letting them do it so that you can move on to the next thing that God has for you. And I'm willing to bet that if we were to think about it for a moment, if you were to look back over your life, there's probably been somebody who's invested in you. There's probably been somebody in your life, in your career, in ministry, in, in your family. There's been somebody who, is, who has taken the time to be a mentor for you. Somebody who's helped to show you the ropes. Somebody who's been there that you could call on and be like, hey, I've got this thing going on. Do you, do you know anything about this? Have you ever done this before? Can you offer me any wisdom or insight on this? Whether it was career, ministry, an opportunity to serve, a community group. You know, maybe, maybe you saw, uh, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll serve as secretary. I'll serve as treasurer. I'll be vice president. I'll be president. And there was somebody along the way who helped coach you through each step. Somebody who mentored you, discipled you, uh, gave you an opportunity. Because there's not many of us that have been successful at anything in life without somebody who's come along beside of us to invest in us to mentor us, to coach us. So are you doing that for somebody else now? Who who is somebody in your life that you're investing in? Who who is somebody in your life that you're mentoring, that you're discipling, that you're encouraging in the ways of Jesus? Who, Who is somebody that's learning from you? I've heard it said in the church that, that everybody needs a Barnabas and everybody needs a Timothy. In the church, each of us, we all need somebody who can be a mentor, a coach, an encourager, somebody who can support us, somebody who we can lean on for wisdom and for guidance in the ways of following Christ. We all need a Barnabas in our life. And we also, all of us need a Timothy. We all need somebody who we are investing in, who we are pouring into, who we are encouraging, who we are coming alongside of and raising up so that they can follow Jesus as well. So maybe they could do what we're doing and we do something else, or maybe they're raised up to do some new task that God has for them. But we are leading them, equipping them, pouring into them as well. We all need a Barnabas and a Timothy. And, and, and I think this is one of the great things of the early Methodist movement. This is a part of our, our, our DNA as Wesleyans, as Methodists. Is that Wesley saw this need for people to be encouraged, this need for people to pour into the lives of others. And so he set up groups of people, small groups. Uh, he called them bands, where there would be three to five people who would meet together. They would ask each other questions. They would encourage one another. They would lift each other up. They would offer wisdom and insight and at times correction. And they would raise up a new leader who would go and form a new group. And so you see the movement spread, you see the good news of Christ spread, the kingdom of God spread, because these groups were gathering together. And my, uh, just an aside, my father-in-law uh, sent me a message the other day, he's reading through uh, some Bible that he got, and it mentioned a guy by the name of George Whitfield. Uh, George Whitfield was a big, important part of the first great awakening in America. Uh, Whitfield and John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement, they were, they were friends at one point in time. They were a part of what was called the Holy Club, where they met together and, and strived to be holy. And they said that George Whitfield 
was a way better preacher than John Wesley ever was. Uh, my, my father-in-law, he was saying, he's like, yeah, I saw this thing that he preached to 23,000 people, you know, back in the, I think it was like the early, the mid to late 1700s, right? That first great awakening time period. That's, that's probably a lot of people for that time period to be together in one place. Preached to 23,000 people. Didn't have a microphone either. So, I mean, you know, but, but Whitfield never had a movement that launched because he wasn't able to organize people. Wesley wasn't as great of a preacher, but he organized people and he, he led them. He taught them. He poured into them. He encouraged them. He lifted them up and he invited them to do the same thing for others. So the Methodist movement began to spread because it was people who were disciples of Jesus who took the time to disciple somebody else, who took the time to disciple somebody else, who took the time to disciple somebody else. That's the same invitation that God has for each of us. To find the person who can be a mentor, an encouragement, a coach in our lives, and to find the person that, that we can pour into. And so what I'd, what I'd invite you to do this week, if you don't have somebody already who's, who's a mentor or a coach, somebody who's pouring into your life to find somebody to pray, say, God, show me somebody who can help me grow in my walk with you. Help me find somebody who can encourage me in my walk with you. And then if you don't have somebody that you're investing in, that you're pouring into, that you're discipling, God, show me somebody. Put somebody in my life that, that I can pour into, that I can invest in, that I can encourage, that I can point out the ways of Jesus to, that I can help lead them and guide them through my words, through my actions. Put somebody in my life that I can invest in the way that Barnabas did for Saul, the way that Saul did for Timothy. I'd invite you to be in prayer about those things throughout this week. And as we, as we do, as we follow this example, we see the kingdom of God begin to spread. We find that peace, that joy, that hope that Jesus offers to us because we're following in his example. We're following his lead. Let us pray together. Gracious and almighty God, we do give you thanks for the people that you've placed in our lives who have been those mentors, those coaches, those people who have helped us to grow in our faith. We thank you, Lord, for that gift and that blessing. And we pray, Lord, that you would use us to do the same for others. Place people in our path, Lord, that, that need to hear and know the good news. People who need encouragement in the ways of Christ. And, and help us to come alongside of them, to listen, to walk with them, to encourage, to provide opportunities for others to share and ministry together. May we see your kingdom come on earth as we become disciples of Jesus who are making disciples. As we are following that great commission that Jesus gives to all of us. We pray this all in his name. Amen.